Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's July the 8th, 2021, on the west coast of the United States. Many of you know, and some of you, I'm afraid, probably experiencing it. We've had a series of heat waves out here, not so much in the San Francisco Bay Area, but to the north in uh, Oregon and in Washington State and also in Southern California. More and more headlines, this one in the New York Times today about this climate, um, this heat wave not being in any way coincidental or bad luck. It reflects a more uh, structural uh, climate change. Um, and of course, that climate change is caused by us, you and I, uh, human-caused climate change behind deadly Western heat wave, a report today, a headlining um, in, the, uh, in the Hill magazine online. And The Guardian has a, a very eerie story about the heat dome in the northwest, uh, probably killing, according to experts both in, in, nor, uh, in the, the northwestern part of the United States and Canada up to a billion marine animals, which I'm sure there are lots of jokes about uh, sea, uh, sea fish uh, stew and soup, but it, obviously it's not very funny. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to confront this? How are we going to confront what many people see as the existential crisis of our age? Uh, lots of ways of doing it. In Spain, they're suggesting people stop eating meat. Um, it's obviously good for our health, and it's also a way, according to the Spanish uh, minister in charge of this, um, uh, to uh, to fix what's happening in Spain, rapid desertification, very similar to what's happening um uh, in the West Coast of the United States and indeed all over the world. We've had a lot of stories about this, about uh, the existential environmental crisis. Lots of shows about it, too. Uh, recently, we had Tim Jackson, the, uh, I guess we might call him anti-capitalist uh, British sociologist and polemicist. He has uh, a new book out, Post-Growth, Life After Capitalism, another book which has been a big success, Prosperity Without Growth. Uh, uh, and then a few days ago, we had Peter Sterling's very much on the same page as Jackson uh, talking about um, what is health and how we're going to fix our own health and the health of the planet. I have another guy on the show today who has a new book out who is dealing with, in some ways, similar issues. His name is Lydie Klotz. His book is called Subtract, Subtract. The Untapped Science of Less, uh, just as the in, um, in, in, in Spain, they're trying to, to get people to eat less or at least eat less meat. Uh, Lydie's book is about subtraction. It's a polemic in favor of subtraction, and it's a very good read, and, and I think it's a very timely book. Uh, that's enough of my introduction. Uh, Lydie, um, what are we to make of this nightmarish fish stew on the west northwest coast of, of America and, and 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 Canada and how does it fit into your new book uh, subtract boy um, yeah I think uh, it's the at the crux here um, the 
you know, I don't get to it until chapter seven in the book, but the reason I wrote the book and the reason I came to the topic of, you know, kind of why we systematically overlook subtraction as a way to make things better is because I was, you know, interested in these environmental issues and saw it as, you know, something that I needed to try to do something about in my lifetime. And I think, you know, build it, you mentioned Tim Jackson before and, you know, prosperity without growth. And I think, um, that is and life after capitalism too right and so i think that uh growth this growth mindset this this idea that only growth is good um is part of the reason why we tend to add and not think about subtraction um and i think you know part of the the fundamental issue here right is conflating growth with progress um and that's uh we can improve by subtracting just as much as we can improve by uh, by adding. Um, Lydie, um, Tim Jackson's very readable book, and I would suggest people read both post-growth and subtract probably together back to back because they're very connected. Uh, Jackson begins with an anecdote about uh, Robert Kennedy and his death. And he idolizes Kennedy because in the 60s, he made a speech about challenging the very idea of growth and of GDP. You start your book with a less well-known figure, although I know her because she's a San Francisco figure, Sue uh, Beerman. What is it about Beerman that, that's so important for your argument? Why do you begin the book with her? Well, for those who don't know, Sue Bierman was a, a planner in San Francisco, um, and she's responsible for a lot of great things about your city. First and foremost, the fact that you don't have a double-decker freeway over the Embarcadero. Um, and so from the kind of 1950s until the 1990s, there was a, a double-decker concrete highway on the eastern waterfront of San Francisco, and, and Sue Bierman was instrumental in, in having that removed. Um, and so she's a it's a concrete, no pun intended, example of subtracting. But I also think it's a really great example because number one, she wasn't a you know a, a professional planner. You know, she was somebody who came to this as a way to to make the world a better place, and she wanted to make the world a better place. And she thought beyond herself. You know, it wasn't a matter of hey, I'm gonna recycle. I'm. She was thinking big about ways to to make her city um, a more livable place. Um, and in, in this case, it, it was a matter of getting rid of that double-decker highway. And, if, you know, it's also a good story. I mean, th th there was a lot of um, a lot of planners talking about how it wasn't a good idea to have the, the double-decker highway there. And it wasn't until the earthquake in the, the World Series earthquake that... 89, yeah. 89, that the, um, the highway got damaged. And so instead of, you know, the proposition being Hey, do we want to remove this thing? It was. It became. Hey, do we want to actually spend money to rebuild this thing, or is now the time to take it down? And it was still a really hard fight to get it taken down. And you know, Bierman actually lost her spot on the planning commission, and the mayor got voted out of office based on, in part, on their decision to take it down. So um, I, I love her as this kind of exemplar of subtracting, um, and also. Um, as an example of kind of uh, a not not as much talked about way to address some of our environmental issues. Right. Um, Beerman, of course, uh, is a politician. The subtitle of your book is The Untapped Science of Less. You're a 
uh, a sort of an eclectic professor somewhere between um, engineering and engineering education and design. Um, but perhaps the subtitle of the book should have been The Untapped Politics of Less, <laughs> because just as Jackson writes about RFK, uh, you begin your book with Sue Beerman, and, and, and the book is littered with political figures. Uh, do you believe in science in fixing the crisis of more and, and of having less? Uh, um, or, uh, uh, or, 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 or is it really uh, politics which is untapped? That's a good point. I mean, of course, all of these things work together, right? And I mean, I have neighbors three doors down who are political scientists who would say that there's a science to, to politics, which I would agree with. And so, um, and so maybe I should talk about the science that we found that's kind of the unique thing that we bring um, in the in the book. And that's that when we try to change something from how it is to how we want it to be, um, and we did some really, you know, basic experiments here, everything from, you know, building with Legos to grids on a computer screen to travel itineraries, we overwhelmingly add. And not only do we overwhelmingly add, in a lot of cases, we don't even think to take away. So we add, move on, and never even consider the option of subtracting. And so that's, you know, that's beyond any politics, right? If you're not even considering the option, that's just a, a basic missed opportunity. And then of course, you know, how things actually happen in the real world is somebody like Sue Bierman has to consider the option. And then there's all the, you know, political forces, economic forces, and, and other um, cultural forces that kind of go into whether this idea becomes a reality. So, so I try to stay grounded, you know, I, I think the science refers more towards uh, more, this is, you know, grounded in academic literature, uh, also, you know, well, yeah, but it's not yeah. an academic book. It's it's a very anecdotal book. I wouldn't call it yeah. a light book, but it's designed to be read uh, by my kind of listeners rather than your kind of colleagues, uh, because exactly. um, it's very accessible. It's full of warm stories of your son, of Lego, of all sorts of other uh, very accessible and, and, and interesting uh, anecdotes. Yeah, no, that's true. And I, I, what I've tried to do is make the science kind of uh understood through those popular, anecdotes popular yeah popular yeah, and also you know giving people a lens to if the problem is that we don't even think of subtraction it's like helping people think of it more and not overlook it um yeah i, I think i pigeonholed your book a little unfairly in the sense that it's about the environment it's not just about the environment because uh sue berman uh sue Beerman made san francisco a much more livable city and i think i guess a more environmentally friendly city although in many ways it has other crises but the second figure you introduce in the book who i'd never even heard of who's really interesting but most of us won't have heard of because he doesn't even have a wikipedia page is a man uh, an oakland uh unionist called leo robinson um so the book isn't just about the environment. It's about human rights and human dignity. Tell me a little bit about this guy, uh, Leo Robinson. Why did you choose him? And um, why does his life support your thesis in Subtract? I mean, so what I was trying to do in the intro was give examples of subtracting across ideas, objects, and kind of social situations. And so Bierman was subtracted an object. Robinson subtracted to improve a social situation and he's you know similar uh 
kind of unheard person or un, under uh, under talked about person to Sue Bierman uh, in that he you know he was a, a unionist and he organized and his one of his great contributions was um, kind of resisting apartheid in South Africa. Now, how, Robinson, I, I wasn't entirely clear, uh, Lady. How, how did Robinson subtract? What did he do that was such a um, a convincing example of subtraction? Sure, he he boycotted South African imports, which I understand, and I have a great deal of respect for him and, and admiration, particularly because he was successful mm-hmm. uh, a, a, as an Oakland uh, docker, as a unionist. But what's the, the subtraction element in what he did? Yeah, and the subtraction that he... Uh, sparked was divestment from South Africa. You know, so there had long been resistance to this apartheid regime in South Africa, and what was that subtraction? What's that got to do with subtraction? Financial subtraction, right? So you, oh, you, I you see. Think about ways that um, you know, and, and maybe a you can think about taking it away. Of, you mean, but isn't yeah, that more of a metaphor? I mean, and partly your your book is about tidying our lives and our society up. Yeah, but I mean, it's fundamentally, it's your, I think that divestment fits squarely within a subtractive change, right? Because you're looking at this situation, whether it's apartheid or whether it's climate change, and you're thinking, okay, how do I want to address this? And you can, you know, put solar panels on your roof, you can donate money to anti-apartheid fighters. um, But then you can also think about, okay, what am I doing already that's kind of propping up this this thing that I'm fighting against and how do I, how do I remove that? And so that's where the subtracting piece comes in where it's like, okay, I'm going to stop investing in apartheid South Africa. I'm going to stop investing in, um, in climate change and your alma mater, uh, you know, Berkeley has been one of the places that, um, has really led on that and taking billions of dollars out of, uh, out of these systems that, that we're fighting against. Yeah, you bring up my alma mater, uh, Lady. Uh, we had a woman on the show last week, Susan Paterno, book about how rotten the, the college system is, the university system is. We've had a, a number of actually shows about this sort of meritocratic aristocracy that's grown up in America. Do you see university? You're a, a university man. Uh, you, yeah. you write your book from inside the university, lots of references to distinguished academic colleagues of one kind or another. Could our university system do with a bit of subtraction? Oh, geez. Yeah. One of our favorite studies from the that actually made it into the paper, We um, our university had their strategic planning effort as all universities do and they asked for suggestions from everybody you know students alumni stakeholders donors and i think they got like 750 suggestions for ways to make the university better and only 10 percent of them were you know taking things away so i mean the same mindset that plagues all of our you know um all of our thinking certainly plagues the university system uh, and i think you know some of the things that you've talked, you, you, you may have talked about on your podcast or, you know, s- subtracting some of these kind of entrenched ways of doing things that are no longer serving us well in the university system. Yeah. And, and, and another theme, uh, Lady, that surprise, surprise has come up many, many shows in, 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 in this series, particularly in the last year since Black Lives Matter is racism. You're someone uh, clearly who cares about this on lots of different fronts. Uh, the, the Robinson example reflects that. 
But you also cite some other uh, better-known figures who are, again, models of subtraction. Desmond Tutu, um, the, um, uh, the, the South African Christian activist, and um, Ibram uh, X. Kendi, the analyst of uh, white racism, I guess, in America. How do these two guys fit into your subtraction argument? Uh, well, I mean, Tutu was instrumental in the, the divestment effort with apartheid. And what's also interesting about Tutu is that kind of for his his second act. I mean, here's a guy who's already won a Nobel Prize uh, is is thinking about how we can divest from climate change. So he saw this subtractive, you know, act as so effective that he's now applying it to what he sees as a, our major problem right now. Um, and then Ibram Kendi, of course, how to be an anti-racist. I mean, his whole thesis there is that, you know, the we can't just be neutral here. We actually have to be against racism, right? And um, so there's some, some of the things that he talks about are fundamentally kind of tied into subtraction. And of course, like, you know, the, the, my thesis is not that subtracting is the only way to make things better. <laughs> That's, my thesis is just that this is a, an overlooked way of making things better. And I want people to be able to have all their options, be able to bring them to bear on these problems that they care about. And racism is an example of that. I mean, you mentioned the, I'll tie an, a, a tangible example into the academic stuff here. It's like one, obviously in academia, we're talking about, oh, this is a huge problem, racism in academia. And what do we do to try to address it? It was like, well, how do we add diversity, right? How do we diversify our department? How do we get mm. more, um, you know, faculty of color, how more women faculty in engineering, for example, were 80% male. So it's a huge problem. And of course, we need to add diversity. But what about subtracting the the racism? <laughs> I mean, there's the systemic racism, which I think that's the thing that kind of everybody has recognized over the last year. Plus, there's like the one or two racist guys still running around that we need to you know, get out that would do just as much, um, just as much good as, as adding diversity. Lady, as I said, you begin your book with two less well-known figures, uh, Sue Bierman and Leo Robinson. But the the third figure in your trinity of, uh, shall we call them reductionists or uh, subtractors, uh, is is better known. And she's a figure who's coming up more and more. Jackson writes about her. Many people write about her. Yeah. Um, she's almost a legendary economist now. Eleanor Ostrom. What is it about Ostrom? both in her life and in her academic work that um, supports your argument about subtraction? Yeah, I mean, so Ostrom won a Nobel Prize in economics, the first woman to do so, um, and uh, also has a political science background. So there's an example of science of, of politics. But what she fundamentally did, which is what a lot of kind of groundbreaking scientists do, is subtract from what people already thought or edit what knowledge was. And, you know, there's this tragedy of the commons, which is a very, you know, catchy idea, which is that if there's a common pool resource, like the the fishery you talked about in the in the beginning of the show, this is a common pool resource that everybody benefits from, but nobody has to like pay the costs of, then everybody's just kind of incentivized to exploit it, right? You know, we, we take as much as we can from this common pool resource before it's depleted. And it, you know, kind of makes economic sense from a self-interested um 
individual perspective. But what Ostrom found through careful years of <laughs> field studies was that we don't always succumb to this tragedy of the commons. There's cases all over the world of communities coming together and saying, hey, how can we how can we manage this? And, you know, when when it works, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of, you know, kind of community, local community action and and um, bigger government rules that kind of kick in if the community action doesn't work. So one of Ostrom's famous examples is lobster fisheries off the main coast. Um, and this is a fishery that was important for everybody economically. And the lobster fishermen actually set up a way to self-police this. And if people overfished, they would, you know, warn each other, smash each other's traps was the kind of the final straw. Um, and then if that all failed, then there was uh, laws in place that if the lobster fishery gets down below a certain level, then the um, then then no fishing can happen. So basically, Ostrom's contribution to knowledge was an edit. And um, <laughs> it, you see that a lot in contributions to knowledge. And I think it's something that all of us can uh, can do better at, myself included. It's really hard to think about the things that we already believe and then you know, rethink them and critically analyze what we should take away. Lady, if there's a, a country that's the equivalent to a, a Eleanor uh, Ostrom, very fashionable thinker now, comes up in lots of different books and interviews, I think it's Costa Rica. It's Costa Rica has come up. I, I just stole a page from their tourist website. But Costa Rica seems to be a country, a government, which are really implementing a lot of the ideas that people like you and Jackson uh, are arguing for. What is it about Costa Rica? And you write about it in, in some detail in your book. What is it about Costa Rica that we can learn from? Uh, I mean, the things that I write about in the book, they set these very ambitious climate goals. Um, and so one of the the principle that I was illustrating as it relates to subtraction is that you know, one reason it's hard to subtract and is that it doesn't show our competence, right? It doesn't show that we're doing something. And as humans, we like to show that we're we're competent, that we're doing something, that we're affecting change. But you can show competence through subtracting if you make your subtractions large enough. Um, and and then it becomes noticeable. I mean, this is, you know, to use another fashionable example, this is what, you know, Steve Jobs' designs were noticeable because they had right. less stuff in them. But Costa Rica, with their climate goals, you know, set very ambitious climate goals. They said they were going to be net zero by 2021, which, you know, contrast that to, you know, other plans where, you know, communities will say, hey, we're going to reduce emissions by 20% or we're going to, you know, start changing the direction of the emissions. So they set a very noticeable subtractive goal. And, you know, you mentioned them being fashionable and I think their efforts are, are laudable. Um, I they don't mean been... it in a critical way. I mean, it's just that Costa Rica, it's always nice to have a, you know, we always know about countries doing bad things, but it's right. really nice when people keep on bringing up a country like Costa Rica, which most of us don't know much about as a model for doing good things. And it's not some absurd absurdly rich, privileged country, perhaps like Norway. I mean, Costa Rica is living in the real world like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a country that, uh, you know, the GDP is around $15,000 a year and the life expectancy is longer than 
here in the United States. So, I mean, what else do you need to hear about? How I've been doing? getting it right, Lady, uh, the Costa Ricans, when it comes to work. We've had lots of shows about work. James Sussman, the British, um, the Africa, the South African British uh, anthropologist, he has a new book out on work. Um, do we need to use subtraction in terms of how we approach work? And the role of technology, of course, is another of the perennial themes, artificial intelligence, automation. Is that going to make subtraction easier or harder for us in terms of our lives? Um, I know you also make a reference to Cal New uh, Newport in the book, I, someone I'm going to get on the show at some point. He had a very popular New Yorker piece about how email is making us miserable because we're doing too much of it. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on on work. I do think that it's a situation where we need to have all of our options, right? You know, it's there's no question that work is changing um, and probably changing faster than it has in the past. And as it's changing, are we actually considering less work or subtracting work or subtracting pieces of our work as a way to to make it better? So, I mean, I, I rather than offering kind of prescriptions there. I think that's as comfortable as I am talking but talking about the future of work. I mean, it certainly does seem like getting rid of, you know, getting rid of email has improved my work life. And I think also the pandemic has shown us about a lot of things from our work lives that can be subtracted, not necessarily for the worse. I mean, for me, you know, 90% of my work travel, I'm not going back to. I, uh, yeah, you mentioned that at the beginning of the book about how COVID has brought a lot of the issues that you write about um, to the boil. Um, whoops. Uh, we had the, um, and if you know her, uh, uh, teenage uh, anti-plastics activist, Hannah Tester on the show last year. She has a new book out, Taking on the Plastic Crisis. And she works under the five R's when it comes to saving the environment. Refuse, reuse, reduce, recycle, raise awareness. But I know, um, Lady, you have another R in your arsenal. Uh, maybe I don't know what you think of. Um, I don't know what you think Can of you Hannah's put it back five up? R's, but hers maybe awesome. the sixth one. I didn't know about it. Put hers back up, please. I want to see it again. Uh, okay. Well, uh, sorry. Uh, hers hard. is um, uh, refuse, refuse, reuse, reduce, recycle, raise awareness. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing about the the three R's is that we, um, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle uh, is, is, is an order, right? We're supposed to reduce first. Um, and so I'm looking here. I think refuse, I propose that we should put remove at the beginning, right? Because okay, reduce, so that's reuse. the sixth one. So we've got six now. We've got remove, yeah, refuse, but I don't know reuse, need... reduce, recycle, raise awareness. I don't know if we need all six. I'm wondering if her refuse might might cover... Now, refuse is more just saying saying no to adding. So I think there is yeah, one. Remove that we... is a polemic. It's it's a call to arms in 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 a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Let's put remove on there. I'll email her. Uh, yeah, I'm curious, um, uh, Lady. You make a lot, uh, and the book has is very readable, um, very entertaining. Um, a lot of stories about your four-year-old son. I don't know if he's still four, but he was four. He's a star of the book. And lots of references to Dr. Seuss, the Lorax. Um, this also, uh, the, the Lorax came up in, uh, I, I talked to Erin Brockovich last year. Her new book, uh, Superman's Not Coming, she writes about the Lorax. What is it about that book that's so important for us to learn? What are the lessons that Dr. Seuss uh, provides in the Lorax? 
I was trying to talk about the environmental issues in a non-preachy way, and so that's why I used the the Lorax. Um, I think the the way I was using it, there's this long-standing environmental debate that gets talked about from leading environmental thinkers, from Dr. Seuss to John McPhee, and who writes in the Bishop of and the Archdruid about um, these kind of competing views. And then also more recently, Charles Mann wrote about it in The Wizard and the Prophet. And so like Mann's wizards are basically the people who think technology is going to save us. And then the prophets are the people who talk about, you know, doom and gloom and say, we need to roll things back. These are not, neither group is the climate change deniers or just, you know, climate profiteers. These are both groups that are, you know, really interested in trying to fix this issue. And so I use the Lorax to kind of illustrate those two groups because the the Onceler, who's the bad guy in the Lorax, right? By the end of the book, he he's the one who's trying to restore the forest. He's he's done the economic growth thing. He's realized that it's not um, it didn't lead to to greater happiness in this case, and he's kind of trying to to rectify his ways. Um, but I think the cool thing about subtraction, as it relates to these competing views, whether it's the 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 Lorax and the Onceler, whether it's the um, the Wizard and the Prophet, is that it's a way to to thread that needle, which is you know the the Wizards want to be active, they want to do stuff, they want to you know act to make this situation better, and the Prophets you know care about not having unbridled growth and subtraction kind of hits the satisfies both of those groups. It's a way of, for both of those groups to work together, which you know. One of the lessons in the Lorax and one of the lessons in McPhee's writing and Charles Mann's writing is that those groups don't often work together to the detriment of issues like climate change. Uh, Lady, you're a, a professor of design, of engineering, and lots of references in the book to your son, as I said, and to his um, fascination with Lego. I'm not sure if you use Lego formally in your argument, but is there something about Lego and simplicity and, and subtraction that, um, that, 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 that reflects the innocent wisdom of, of four-year-old kids like your son? Yeah, the problem with that story, I mean, it's a really catchy story that he figured out how to subtract and I didn't. And so, you know, the the intro story, and it really was an epiphany for me, was we were playing with Legos. I've got a replica here from my other interviews, but the um, the we had this bridge here and the problem was um, the bridge wasn't level. And so I turned around to grab a block to add to the shorter column. By the time I had turned back around, he had removed a block from the longer column. And this is what kicked off our research in this and, and let, we didn't do the, the bridge study, but we designed a bunch of experiments that were essentially testing the same thing. It's like, here's a, a situation and there are ways to make it better. Um, so, so yeah, my, my son subtracted in that case. Um, and, but he's, has not proven to be a good subtractor and we don't have any evidence that there's like, you know, innocent people are, are better at this. Um, it's something we want to explore more, how much of this is educated into us versus how much is, is just innate. But he's, uh, he's just as bad at adding as the rest of us, as my downstairs Lego room can attest to. But he's, he's six now. You mentioned him being four. He's six now, and he's very happy that he's kind of sharing he's this a star. You've made him world. a star. I hope he's getting some of the proceeds from the book. I, yeah. I, I mentioned earlier Erin um, Brockovich. She has her, uh, when, when we talk to her, her top 12 actions, having one fewer children, 
live car-free, eat a plant-based diet, etc., etc. I'm curious, uh, Lydie, for you, for people listening to this who care about subtraction, who share your values of simplifying the world, of cleaning up the environment, of reducing racism, and all the other good things you write about in the book, um, should we just get rid of capitalism? That's what Jackson says. Or can we do it one Lego piece at a time? What's Jackson's replacement argument these days? I've, I haven't read his most recent work. I mean, I do think that a fundamental shift to the economic system would, would help. I just don't know. Does it involve, you know, changing away from capitalism? Is it a form of, you know, natural yeah. capitalism? Well, I don't want to put Peter Jackson on the spot here, but we've had lots of, we had, for example, the French uh, economist, uh, Lucas Chancel on the show uh, last year, writing about unsustainable inequalities, social justice in the environment. And a lot of people, you know this, you're in the university, a lot of formal or informal Marxists or criti critics of capitalism who don't believe that capitalism is compatible with a just society. Um, I know that's a big thing to end on, but can capitalism work with the ideals you're presenting? Can we have a capitalist society where we can also subtract, or perhaps is the real subtraction we need in, in, in early 21st century America and Western Europe, subtracting capitalism itself? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I, I'm interested in learning more about, you know, kind of alternative systems. I would say that, but your direct answer to your question of can the ideals I espouse in the book or, you know, thinking about all of our options, that's a very capitalistic idea or very compatible with capitalism, right? It's like, this is just a matter of, hey, think of more, think of more things um, or here are more ways that you can make positive change in the world. And that is kind of agnostic when it comes to a, a specific kind of economic system. I, I would also say that this, you know, I talk in my book about the, the history here and this, this is, there biological reasons for this. There are cultural reasons for this that go back way, way, way before capitalism existed. So I, I would, I think it would be naive to think that capitalism, you know, subtracting capitalism would fix all of the things that, um, that we just talked about. Well, that's a, an honest answer to a question that's, of course, impossible to answer. Uh, your new book, uh, or Lady Klotz's new book, Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less, it's a really energetic, interesting, provocative read. Congratulations, Lady, on the book. You are in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, I think at your university or near your university in these strange post-COVID times where we're still not quite sure if we need to go out. What other books, in addition to your subtract, should people be reading in these strange times? All the ones we talked about. Um, I also love uh, Eduardo Galeano. I don't know if your readers are familiar, listeners are familiar with him. He's a Uruguayan uh, writer who's most famous for um, Open Veins of Latin America, which um, is a terrific book about colonialism in, in, in Latin America. And then also he's just got a series of books and he's just, he's a writer like no other. And he, uh, he blends kind of history, science, story, um, yeah, poetry. Yeah, I, I know his work. He would, uh, you're the first person to suggest that, but it's a, it's, it's a very good idea. Well, Lady Klotz, congratulations again on subtract, keep well, keep subtracting. <laughs> and I think we'll have to have you back on a special show about life after capitalism uh, with Tim Jackson and, and, and other thinkers. Thank you so much. 
I would love that. Thank you, Andrew.